You know, you, you practice with tools until you're familiar before you do something serious with them. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Chief Marketing Officer. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. So, Andrew, last week, we left our listeners sitting on the edge of a cliff. Okay, not probably literally true. Well, we we didn't finish what we started. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that is good because it causes people to want to hear the rest of the story. Right, right. But it also is a difficult time for listeners to jump in. If they didn't hear last week, we discussed some of the myths of our stylistic Syllabus or misunderstandings. Misunderstandings, yes, yeah. you qualified that as misunderstandings. And we ended with the fourth one. So look back on the show notes if you want to know what one, two, and three are. <laughs> the fourth one, which is a misunderstanding that banned words are always banned. And banned words are used both for strong verbs and quality adjectives, which is a dress up that we haven't talked about yet. But right. but can we pick up, just jump right in there? Yeah, sure. You know, I have received a few letters mm-hmm. over the years of, I, I would say, educated professional mm-hmm. people, either writers or teachers or teachers who are writers or writers who also teach, seriously questioning whether the word said should be banned. And one of the reasons that they have this question or objection is that Children will then read good literature, mm-hmm. C.S. Lewis, Chronicles of Narnia, Tolkien, mm-hmm. or any number of other things, and they will discover the word said <gasps> in those books and then have some kind of conclusion mm-hmm. that, oh, no, Tolkien and Lewis must not be good writers because they're using a banned word. Mm-hmm. So. I have never had a child say that to me personally, but I've had a couple teachers say that they had students say that to them, or not even teaching our syllabus, but having heard that a child said that to someone that they heard. So, you know, I think that's worth addressing Mm -hmm. because there are times when I've been writing stuff, and quite honestly, the word go was the best word to use. Mm-hmm. But I also thought, are there options? The word said, I have used it. It it doesn't mean it's good or bad. The question is, in that sentence, according to my best judgment, is it the best word there? So that's what we're trying to bring kids to, that mm-hmm. point of questioning, is this word that I'm about to write the best option now, if you never practice not using it, then it's the default. But if you have practiced not using it, like the running with weights analogy we did last week, 
then, okay, where's my list of words? You know, there's 500 substitutes for the word said. Not all of them are going to work in anything, but some of them would work in some cases and might not work in other cases. Right. So it's, it's all about that wrestling for the right word. Right. And so creating the band words list, starting with the verbs and getting rid of half a dozen of them, mm-hmm. it helps kids move to that, okay, I'm going to swim around in the world of options to these words. And then we move into the next stylistic technique, which is the because clause. Mm -hmm. So we're back into combining ideas. And then we move to the quality adjective, which is where we then say, all right, what's the difference verb adjective? And, you know, that's one of the points I've noticed kids, you know, when I look at them having written their paragraph and underlining their dress-ups or in the middle of a class, they will confuse verbs and adjectives, Mm -hmm. which is not surprising to me because of the nature of English Mm -hmm. being a non-inflected language. So an inflected language is when a word has an ending that almost always indicates exactly what part of speech it is. Oh, okay. So in Latin or Japanese, which Mm -hmm. are the two languages I know a little bit about, Mm -hmm. if you look at a word, you would see the ending and say, well, that's a verb. has to be a verb. can't be anything but a verb, Mm -hmm. right? But Mm -hmm. in English, think of a simple little verb or a simple word like golf, Mm -hmm. four-letter word, one syllable, but it could be three different things. Mm -hmm. It could be a verb, you know, we golf every month. <laughs> we don't, but... No. It could be a noun. Mm-hmm. Golf is boring. <laughs> it could be an adjective. Mm-hmm. Hand me the golf club. Mm-hmm. Get in the golf cart. Mm-hmm. So for a child to just look at that word mm-hmm. and know what it is, nobody could do that. Mm-hmm. You would have to parse the sentence. Mm-hmm. So English is, in a way, one of the harder languages to figure out parts of speech just Mm -hmm. because we have these huge overlaps. Right. And it gets even nastier when we start sticking INGs on verbs, and then they behave in many different possible ways. Right, right. So it's good. Mm -hmm. It's good that we have strong verb and quality adjective on the dress-up checklist Mm -hmm. because it forces that conversation Mm -hmm. in this case— what part of speech is this? Right. Is it something that someone is doing or is it a person, place, thing, or idea? Right. But that's kind of abstract, you know, even for kids, you know, 9, 10 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this just helps. So mm-hmm. having the checklist is, in a way, the best way to reinforce basic parts of speech and grammar ideas. Right. Exactly. And then adjectives are used, whereas L-Y adverbs can jump all around in a sentence, adjectives are generally used in one of two ways, as kind of a a pure adjective, which would come before a noun. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I don't really like the word modify Mm -hmm. because it makes you think it's changing it somehow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it comes before a noun and adds information to clarity, that perhaps clarity. It should or, be a clarifier, not a modifier. Yeah, or just <laughs> or or just a stronger image or feeling. Mm-hmm, it exactly. creates a stronger image or feeling. 
or it can be used as a predicate mm. adjective, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Such as exercise is good, right? So anyway, I have found so many opportunities to teach grammar at the point of need, as Mrs. Ingham always has said, mm -hmm. and almost surreptitiously yep. because it's just constantly coming up mm -hmm. and you can constantly reinforce those ideas. Mm -hmm. And the band words list with adjectives does the same. It's a little harder to get rid of adjectives because once you get rid of good and bad and maybe big and small and maybe cool, and, and sometimes you really want to get rid of awesome, mm -hmm. not because it's weak, lame, lousy, but because it's overused and misused. Right. But uh, so we come up with, you know, a few of those to sensitize. So you can't say good, you can't say bad. Okay, what are some options? Well, there's hundreds of options. Mm -hmm. And now the challenge is to choose the one that fits mm -hmm. your use, right? So you could say tasty, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, ice cream is good. Mm -hmm. Ice cream is delicious. Ice cream is tasty. Ice cream is, what else could you say? Essential to life. <laughs> satisfying. <laughs> but you could say, you know, the roller coaster mm -hmm. was a good ride. It was mm -hmm. a good thing. Mm -hmm. Well, you wouldn't use tasty. No. Right? So you look for something else. Well, mm -hmm. maybe exhilarating. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I suppose you could say ice cream is exhilarating. It wouldn't be <laughs> horrible. It would just be hyperbole. <laughs> uh, but so kids are just – they're navigating the mm -hmm. world of these words and they don't understand the nuance of all the words mm -hmm. that they have heard. Mm -hmm. And in a way, you best learn the meaning of a word by wrestling with how to use it right. rather than just reading stuff or hearing it right? or memorizing a definition and then forgetting that as soon as the quiz is on, over. Right. I, I've, I find, and I know you've actually said this, kids are so correctable. You know, they can use the wrong word to describe something, you know, the tasty roller coaster, and you can say, no, that doesn't quite fit. Use something different. And they're, they're no problem. There's no problem with that. Oh, exhilarating. Oh, that makes that's much better. Yeah. You know, in my talk on the four deadly errors of teaching writing, mm -hmm. I, I point out one of the most useless things you could ever say to a student, mm -hmm. especially a younger one, mm -hmm. is, can't you think of a better word here? Mm. Because, honestly, the kid is like, mm -hmm. if I could have thought of a better word, mm -hmm. I would have thought of a better word. Sure. If you don't like it, just tell me what exactly. you do want. Yeah. You know? yeah. So, you know, it's all part of that modeling and mm -hmm. teaching and honing and refining. And it takes time. Mm -hmm. It takes years. And so, you know, in this conversation mm -hmm. about myths or misunderstandings of, of style techniques, we could also address the problem of well, doing these causes awkwardness mm. in writing. Mm. Yes. You know, that, and I often times see, you know, adults or young people say, well, I could write this better if I didn't have a checklist. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, maybe that's true. What they're really saying is this would be less awkward if I weren't forced. Mm -hmm. to do these five things or seven things or ten things or however many are on the checklist. Mm -hmm. Well, that may be true. Mm -hmm. But I do like to use the music analogy, mm -hmm. right? So we talked last week about running with weights, yes, yes. which I think is a very good analogy. Mm -hmm. You could expand that to, say, dribble drills. Mm -hmm. 
uh, in soccer or basketball. Mm -hmm. You don't do dribble drills so that you can go show people you're dribbling. Right. Right. <laughs> That's it's not the end. Mm -hmm. The end is to be a better player in the game uh, on the field on the court. But the dribble drill is a means to that higher end. Right. And so we're we're looking at the same thing. Mm -hmm. So I like the music analogy as mm -hmm. well. We don't play the scales and etudes so that we can just show off scales and etudes. Nobody's really thrilled to hear that. But we do know that if a student plays a scale or an arpeggio or a particular etude, they develop a, a comfortability, if not an actual mastery, of particular techniques. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Then when later down the line, when they want to play something, it's like, oh, I know how to do that. Mm -hmm. right. Same thing with the writing. Mm -hmm. And so I try to make this as clear as possible. And, and I will tell you, I'm pretty sure that all of the people who have written to me criticizing the use of band words, you know, because, of course, the kid who learns that said is a band word now thinks C.S. Lewis is a bad writer because C.S. Lewis used said. Or good, mm -hmm. right? Those people have not actually sat through the whole seminar, right? Yeah. So they they're not getting the full understanding of the philosophy of of why and how to do this. Mm -hmm. But I I try to make it very clear: the goal of the checklist is to graduate yes. from it, yes. not to do it the rest of your life, right? Now, I haven't quite convinced Dr. Webster of this truth. I was wondering if you were going to bring that up. <laughs> because anytime I send him anything written by anyone, mm -hmm. you know, he's like counting all the dress-ups, openers, decorations, and, and you know, is this following the checklist perfectly? And if not, okay, that's the first point of mm -hmm. criticism. Mm -hmm. Well, um, and speaking of someone who's known and lived this for decades, which we talked about last week, he has certainly been, what, seven decades of structure and style? Yeah, probably close to it. Yeah. Six, six at least. Mm -hmm. And and I understand his attitude as a purist. He's also 92 years old. So, But I, I am very aware mm -hmm. that the goal is to graduate from the weights or the dribble drills yep. or the checklist. You reach a certain point where you don't need to do those exercises anymore. Right. Because you have acquired, you have accomplished the goal of the exercise. Right. Exactly. Then you can go and do what you want to. Right. This is almost ridiculous to say this, but I, I feel like I need to say it to illustrate this point. You mentioned earlier, you, Andrew Poudois, I believe you've considered yourself able to graduate from the checklist, wouldn't you say? Well, yes, but sometimes I have to write stuff right. that does everything, and well, I can. Right, and of course, that's including when you write to Dr. Webster. Yeah, especially. <laughs> but, you know, what you said earlier about choosing the best word, and, it, you know, it gives you pause. Hmm, maybe good, is there a different word that I could use instead of good, because good is a banned word. Nope, it's, it is truly the best word, and at least you've stopped to think about it. Exactly. Where kids that don't have that, that instruction wouldn't think to do that, and they wouldn't go, well, you know what, good isn't the best word. Exhilarating really gives that strong image or feeling that I want to be able to convey to my reader when I was writing the Matterhorn Mountain at Disneyland, <laughs> which is exhilarating. I heard they're going to 
shut down the Matterhorn. That will make me very sad. Of course. <laughs> and I couldn't care less. <laughs> um, however, the the thing that you know I try to make clear mm-hmm. in the very beginning is that the whole purpose of the checklist is to graduate from it. Yeah. It's like school. Mm-hmm. The whole purpose of school isn't to be in school forever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The purpose of school is to graduate from school and get on with your life. Mm-hmm. Any mm-hmm. college student will tell you that. Right, right. And so it's just it's a, a little bit of a paradigm mm-hmm. shift. And then, you know, the kids, they want to play with it. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you say, okay, good is a banned word, then pretty soon if you live with these children – they're going to catch you every time you accidentally say good. Okay, there's myth number there's myth number 6 that you just said and that is kids will catch you saying a banned word when actually banned words apply to writing. Right. right. And this is a good lesson mm-hmm. for for all of us but in particular for young writers mm-hmm. to realize that there's spoken English, mm-hmm. which for the most part, everyone's experience is it's somewhat accidental and informal. Mm-hmm. When you're just talking to someone, you say stuff the way you think at first. You don't necessarily have the time in the middle of a conversation to think what you're going to say, rehearse it in your head a bit, wonder if you would change it to make it a little more accurate or stylish or literary or sophisticated. No, you're just talking, talking, talking. (laughs) Uh, But when you're writing, it's a different thing. Mm -hmm. I mentioned last week that I don't like the idea that if you can write, if you can talk, you can write. You know, that's that's haphazard, that's sloppy, uh, that there's a discipline to writing. In fact, I will quote, I think I have quoted on the podcast before, but I just love it. It's it's absolute perfect understanding of the language arts. And and that's when Francis Bacon says, reading maketh a full man, speaking maketh a ready man, and writing maketh an exact man. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, if kids are in, say, debate, mm-hmm. and they have to stand up and formulate an argument very quickly, it wouldn't be as close to perfect as it would be if they wrote it. Mm -hmm. But there's that readiness. There's Mm -hmm. that speed. And whether it's a formal debate like, you know, a competition or whether it's a debate with a parent or a friend or a conversation, the ability to speak well is essentially speed of connecting your full database of language options with the idea you're trying to articulate almost instantaneously. And we respect that greatly. Yes, yes. We respect people who have a vocabulary and a range of expression and a depth of thought that is, you know, the achievement of a life lived so far. Right, right. But that writing makes an exact man, you know, okay, this is the idea. Now, can this be said even better? And, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of this supposedly Oscar Wilde wrote in a mm-hmm. letter to his friend. You've heard me say this. Mm-hmm. I spent the morning editing one of my poems. I put in a comma. This afternoon I took it out. <laughs> you know, that the refinement level 
that he was striving for was such that he was thinking for hours mm-hmm. about whether a particular line mm-hmm. should have a comma or not. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that kind of shows the extreme level mm-hmm. of precision, of exactness. Yes. But what we also know is that as kids improve their vocabulary in writing, it starts to show up in their speaking as well. Exactly, exactly. And then we could launch into the whole talk about the value of poetry memorization, of memorizing famous speeches, because that memorized repertoire can inform the writing that can then in turn form the formal or even casual speaking. And I've been in situations, and I know you have, but you're the professional talker. I'm just like the sidekick, right? Whatever it is. But I'll be in situations where people will say, Julie, what's the word for this? What's the definition of this? Mm -hmm. And apparently, I am speaking with friends and peers, and my vocabulary is a little more expanded. I I hope so. You know, I hope (laughs) you're rubbing off on me a little bit. I hope my training here at the Institute for Excellence in Writing is actually informing my speaking too. You know, but I have that same experience listening to two really smart people having Mm -hmm. a conversation. Mm -hmm. And you just kind of stop and think, how do they do that? Right. How do they know all those words? How do they have all that information at their fingertips? Mm -hmm. So... You know, we're all on a a spectrum there. But our work, of course, is to use the tools that we have been given Mm -hmm. and have worked with and practiced with. And essentially, we've written, I would say, an instruction book for using language tools that is particularly helpful. Yes. Pretty much everyone. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I honestly have not met anyone who's been through the whole course and taught children and didn't say, wow, this has been very useful for me personally. Yes. It's improved my own writing. Yes. And I've even heard that from very, very professional people who wrote for a living mm-hmm. and said, well, this is helpful because it's it's showing me other ways to do things that, and I fall into ruts and habits. Like mm-hmm. that. Exactly. So, you know, I would address the people who have an idea that somehow these band words or these style techniques create a misuse or a lack of appropriateness or an undue awkwardness to say, understand the reasons, understand children, mm-hmm. and you will understand that this does what we hope it will do. Mm-hmm. And, and we've seen that. How many kids have gone off to college you know, taking university classes, and then they say to their mom or their old teacher, I still use my blah, 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 blah mm-hmm. from IEW. Mm-hmm. Checklist, now, do, portable wall, some other yeah, tools do they, that they use brought with them. everything? Mm-hmm. No, I doubt it. Mm-hmm. And I try to say, look, when you go to college, don't try to write well. Try to figure out what your professor likes and right. do that. Mm-hmm. And if you have this big repertoire of stylistic techniques to choose from, mm-hmm. you could actually analyze someone's writing. Mm-hmm. And get closer to imitating it, Mm -hmm. which seems like cheating, but, (laughs) I mean, aren't we all about that, though? You know, the first rule of rhetoric is communicate with your audience, who's your audience. So I like to, you know, try and help teachers and children understand that in practicing all these style techniques, dress-ups, okay, you got them down, let's move into sentence openers. Mm -hmm. 
Here's a couple sentence openers you would almost never use when you're speaking. Only when you write it, it sounds more literary. It sounds more sophisticated. You sound smarter than you actually are, and, perhaps. <laughs> well, and what better way to become smarter mm. than you previously were than to practice trying to be right. smarter? Right. I remember the line that you say when you're doing a teacher training course. You say, I do not believe, nor do I teach. And I know you know the line, so I'm going to let you finish it. That this is the formula for good writing. And that's how I introduce the whole stylistic technique. Exactly. So this is not a formula for good writing. So we'll, we'll finish with this last under misunderstanding. And that is the idea that if everyone follows the same checklist, they all will sound the same. And you get this mechanical, uninspired, unindividual writing. Mm-hmm. Formulaic. Formulaic. Mm-hmm. Well, it's just not true. Mm-mm. I mean, you've sat with me. You've actually sat through all the classes and all the videos that we've recorded over the past three, four years. Multiple times. <laughs> and what always strikes me, and I know it strikes you, is you can give the same source text or the same assignment with the same checklist to 12 different kids, and they are not limited in their creativity in any way. It, it's like if you gave the same box of building materials or the same package of Legos or the same kit with art supplies or whatever. Yeah, this isn't a recipe where you're trying to follow a recipe so that you can replicate a cake or a casserole. Not it's at all. not that at all. It's just no. a yeah, it's not even a list of ingredients. It's and very and the variety mm-hmm. that we get both with the younger children mm-hmm. and with the older children, mm-hmm. even though they're all doing the same assignment with the same checklist, it it always astounds me. And so, you know, we want to be sure to help everyone understand there is no danger no. in teaching this, right. that all kids are going to sound the same. Right, right. And, and then understanding that once they leave your control, they may or may not use the things on the checklist. Right. Or maybe if they stay with you for long enough, you say, okay, I think you've got it. You're free. Mm-hmm. Do what you want. Right. Make the best thing you can. Right. And don't worry about the checklist. Right. And then, then they can pick and choose. Right. And they can use the style techniques that are going to work for that particular idea at mm-hmm. that particular time mm-hmm. and not be forced to put in a thing that's just going to be awkward. Right, right. And that's when you really just you, – you have achieved the goal. You see how wonderful – the path was that got you there, and then you go off and do whatever you do in real life, write emails or memos or children's <laughs> books or papers or technical uh, manuals. You know, everybody's going to go off and do different things. And I think one of the biggest problems is adults have in their mind somewhere this ideal of good writing, journalists. Mm. for example, have an ideal of good writing. But you wouldn't apply that to teaching children in fourth grade because it's you're not trying to make 10-year-olds into journalists. I always like to say, you know, my goal is to get children to 
fall in love with the language yes. and play with it. Yes, yes. Because you got a room full of fourth graders. Some of them may go into journalism, mm-hmm. but some of them may want to write children's books, like mm-hmm. Alexander's No Good, Horrible, Awful, Terrible, Miserable. How, I don't know the title, but you know everyone knows that book. It's ridiculous, but it's funny. It's engaging. It was it written a, by an author who had banned a banned word list with bad, and they came up with awful, no good, horrible. Well, maybe they did. Maybe that's true. Maybe it isn't. I don't know. But my point is Mm -hmm. you as an adult cannot take your concept of this is professionally what is good Mm -hmm. because it's in a field, right? You, You don't write an article for a magazine the way you write a children's book. Right. Does that mean we should no one should ever write children's books? Of course not. And in fact, the more you know, the more flexibility you have, the the wider the range of usage that you can wrangle, the more likely you are to function better if you're asked to write an article or a summary or an email or a blog post or a poem mm-hmm. or a children's book or a reflection, you know, all of those things are going to be different, but the 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 pieces, the tools that help you do all of those things well are in the experience. They're mm-hmm. in your brain. Mm-hmm. You have them. So that's why, you know, and I, you know, I, I wrote an article in response to the criticism from a journalist that adding in dress-ups doesn't make writing better. And I said, I'm not teaching future journalists. I'm teaching children. Mm -hmm. And as Maria Montessori said, the work of a child is to play. Mm -hmm. And that's how they learn to use, and going back, topic clincher to the Mm -hmm. last episode's first idea, tools. Right. And Dorothy Sayers wrote about this too. Right. You know, you, you practice with tools until you're familiar before you do something serious with them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Another analogy I've used is my job is not to carve a journalist out of a mm-hmm. kid, but to give the kid the linguistic marble, as much of it as possible. And then if that's their calling or destiny, someone else gets to carve it mm-hmm. and say, do this, but don't do that. I want the kid to walk in with the greatest aptitude, which would be, I love words. Okay, now let's refine that for a professional usage as an adult. Yes, yes. I Just one really quick story. I know we have to end, and it's not even a story. It's just uh, an anecdotal evidence of what you're saying is true. I love to watch kids at the beginning of the year grow up and then at the end of the year say, I want to be a writer. Where at the beginning of the class, you said, how many of you hate writing? And their hand was up. They hate writing. And at the end of the year, I want to be a writer. Wow, that's a, that's a powerful gift that you are giving, Andrew, and that this structure and style syllabus can afford to these students. So thank you for all the kids out there that are succeeding in college. It's, it's wonderful to have done this long enough mm-hmm. now to have so many stories coming yep. in yep. of 
you know, adult kids, you yep. know, in their 20s, in careers, even 30 years old, yep. who were in a writing class or watched a video of mine yep. 15 years ago when yep. they were young. Yeah, you know. yep. it's been a joy working with you. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcast. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Pudua and the team at IEW, I thank you for allowing us to partner with you on your journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking. <laughs>